Last month you might have heard about the Brisbane family who were on their way to Perth on holidays and they got their ute bogged at Wilcannia. Do you remember hearing about that? The conditions were so bad that the emergency services couldn't get to them for three days. So mum and dad and the two teenage boys and the dog had to sleep together in the ute for three days until they were rescued. It turns out, though, that the newspaper article reported that they were, the road they were driving down actually had a big road closed sign that they decided to go around because the GPS told them that that was the way to go. Now, they ignored the warning signs, but I think they got off pretty lightly compared to a couple of brothers from Melbourne last year who ignored the warning signs at the Fox Glacier in New Zealand. Uh, they stepped over the safety rope. They ignored the danger signs. They were taking a photo of the glacier and it collapsed on them and both of them were killed. Warnings, you see, are there for a reason. And today's passage is a warning from Jesus to his disciples about what is about to happen to them and how they should respond. And it's a warning that Jesus wants them to take very seriously. And in fact, he says that a few times through. Just have a quick bit of a skim with me. Look at Mark chapter 13, verse 5. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. Verse 23, so be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. Verse 33, be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time will come. And verse 37, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So whatever it is that Jesus is talking about in this chapter, it's a warning that he wants us and his original hearers to take very seriously. So let's jump in to Mark chapter 13, verse 1. And this section is kicked off by Jesus and his disciples wandering through the temple, admiring the stones like Howard was doing a little while back. Verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. When you go to Sydney, it's not hard to spot the tourists, is it? They're all taking photos of the Opera House or Darling Harbour or the Harbour Bridge or the Centrepoint Tower. That's the feel here. These disciples from way out in the bush are excited about these huge stones that the temple are made of. They're kind of mesmerised mesmerized by them, staring at them. Although, you can see why. Today, tourists go, don't they, just to see the foundations of the ruins of this wall. We saw some photos earlier. Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, he tells us that some of the stones were 45 cubits long. That's 20 metres. That's as long as this room, one stone. Two and a half metres high above my head. That's one stone. These stones are huge, let alone the whole wall. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones. What magnificent buildings. Jesus doesn't seem to be in the tourist mode, though. Do you see all these great buildings, Jesus replied? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And that's exactly what happened. Mark doesn't write about it here because the destruction of the temple happened after Mark's gospel was written. But if you look up Wikipedia, and I've just put a little extract of it there. I go for Wikipedia because it's a very brief history. On the right of your bulletin there, you can read about it. In the last sentence, this is talking about the Jewish temple, and the very last sentence in that Wikipedia article says, 
It was later destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD during the siege of Jerusalem. Now, you might remember the old um, pub on the corner of Talbograss Street and Darling Street had to be knocked down for the new regional theatre car park, a lovely building as it was. It didn't make it into Wikipedia like this. It only just made the Daily Liberal. It, that's just a building being knocked down. That happens every day. But the destruction of the Jerusalem is not just about some building being knocked down. The destruction of the temple is huge. For the Jew, it was pretty much the biggest event you could comprehend. Because the temple wasn't just a building, it was the symbol of God's presence with them. The destruction of the temple, that's, that's unthinkable. And so his disciples asked Jesus in verse 3, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? And the rest of the chapter is the answer to that question. When will the temple be destroyed? When will this terrible event take place? And what will be the sign? How will we know that it's about to happen? And you can see it, Jesus answers it in sections, and I've put them on the outline. Firstly, before the destruction of Jerusalem, what's going to happen? And then during the destruction of the temple, and then after the destruction of the temple. So we're just going to look at them as the passage looks at them in those three uh, categories. So firstly, what will happen leading up to the destruction of the temple? Verse 5. Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Between the end of Jesus' um, life and the destruction of the temple, it's going to be a terrible time for the apostles. The first half of that section picks up some Old Testament language about the terrible things that will happen. And then Jesus kind of fleshes it out in the details in the second half. They'll be handed out to the authorities. They'll be arrested. They'll be brought to trial. They'll be flogged. And as you read on after Mark's gospel in the book of Acts, that's exactly what happens. Not just once, but again and again. And the reason Jesus warns them ahead of time is so that they can be prepared for the terrible times that are coming, so that they can stand firm through it. Look at verse 13. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Verse 9, you must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. 
Now again, that's exactly what happens in the book of Acts, isn't it? They do stand firm. They do witness to the people, the very people they're on trial before. And they do proclaim the gospel to all nations. That's the story of Acts, the gospel going from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives them the words to say, and they do stand firm in spite of terrible opposition. And so in these verses, Jesus is simply warning his disciples of what lies ahead so that they will be witnesses for him. And they do. They don't ignore his warning. They listen to it and they take note and they make a stand. Now that's before the destruction of the temple. That's leading up to it. The destruction of the temple itself is described in verse 14 and they're told to react to that in a different way. Not make a stand, but flee. Get out of there. Verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, we'll come back to that later, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. The abomination that causes desolation, which is just a phrase you kind of read and think, what is that about? It actually comes from Daniel. It's a quote from the book of Daniel in Daniel 11.31 and a couple of other places in Daniel. In Daniel 11:31 you might want to check it up later. Daniel 11:31 it talks about a great king and it says his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. So the abomination that causes desolation is talking about the des- the, the desecration the destruction of the temple. And in Jesus day they had thought that that prophecy had already come true. Have a look at Wikipedia there. Um, In about the fourth line, it says, the second temple, so there was the original temple built by Solomon. It got destroyed um, just before the exile. They built a second temple, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah, that kind of thing. The second temple suffered desecration by Antiochus. Tychus Epiphanes in 167 BC. The second temple suffered desecration by Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 BC. Now you can read about that in the book of 1 Maccabees, which is a book that becomes before the, before the New Testament, but after the Old Testament. It's not part of the Bible, but it's like a history book. And in 167 BC, a fellow called Antiochus Epiphanes came through with his armies and ripped everything out of the temple. He killed anyone who had Old Testament scriptures in their possession. His armies killed all the Israelite children. They sacrificed pigs on the altar. And it says in 1 Maccabees, they set up the abomination that causes desolation in the temple, which apparently refers to a statue of Zeus that they put in there. It was a terrible time for the Jews. But the point is, that happened before Jesus. And so in Jesus' day, they assumed that that Daniel was already fulfilled. But Jesus is saying, no, no, Daniel is yet to be fulfilled. That wasn't the destruction of the temple. It's still coming. The terrible times that Daniel spoke about, they're still coming. In fact, in Daniel 12, the book of Daniel ends with Daniel not understanding. He's told all this and he says, I don't understand. And then God says in verse 9, you don't have to understand, Daniel. The, The words of these scrolls need to be sealed up until the time. And Jesus says here, 
Let the reader understand. In other words, what was sealed up, it's now time for it to happen. It's now time for Daniel to come true. The abomination that causes desolation is just around the corner. And then Jesus strings together all these passages from the Old Testament to make the point that when this happens, when the temple is destroyed, when the judgment of God does fall on the temple, you don't want to be there. You want to get out. So verse 15 and 16. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. That actually is very similar language to Genesis 19 where Lot and his family are told to flee from Sodom and Gomorrah, the evil cities. It says, flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. In verse 19 of Mark 13, Mark goes on, those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. That's very similar to Daniel 12, where Daniel is talking about God's final judgment. In um, verse 24 of Mark 13, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 13, which is actually a prophecy against Babylon. It's similar language. Listen, it says, See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonians' pride, will be overthrown by God like Sodom and Gomorrah. And then down in verse 26 of Mark 13, Jesus quotes from Daniel 7, where in Daniel 7 it says, Someone like a son of man comes on the clouds of heaven in glory and the beast there in Daniel's vision is thrown into the fire and destroyed. Now, you don't need to get all the details of those Old Testament passages, but Jesus is doing something very interesting here. He's taking all these Old Testament passages that they're not talking about the temple or its destruction. They're talking about the most evil places in the Old Testament, the evil city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the city of Babylon, the beast of Daniel 7. Jesus takes those passages that are talking about God's worst enemies and he applies them to the Jewish temple. See, don't think that just because this temple was built by God that it means you'll be safe here. Because a day is coming when God will set himself against the temple in the same way that he set himself against those evil cities. And so the Jewish leaders who thought they were safe because they, they could do whatever they wanted and they, they could just come back to the temple. Jesus is saying the temple will become the center of all evil and God's judgment is coming on it. And just like you fled the evil cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, just like you fled from Babylon, get out of Jerusalem. The temple is no longer at the center of God's plans. Now, I think a lot of people have failed to understand that. That's what the Crusades were about in the 11th and 12th centuries, the church trying to recapture the Holy Land as if it had some kind of important place in God's plan. And you even read stuff today about people trying to reclaim the temple or America trying to put money in to support Israel. It's total garbage. Jesus is saying, get out of there, get out of the temple, leave it behind, let it be destroyed, it's finished. And after the temple's destroyed, what happens next? Verse 27. 
God will send forth the angels, his messengers, and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest ends of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. See, the destruction of the temple, it's not the end of God's plans. It's actually the start of the gospel going out to all the nations and drawing people to God, drawing people to himself, not through the temple, not through a building, but through Jesus. Mark 13 shows us God's plan. And God's plan is not based around temples or buildings. It's based around the gospel going out. The good news about Jesus' death and resurrection will be spread to the four ends of the earth by his messengers and through whom he will call people to himself. So that's Jesus' answers to the disciples' questions. When will the temple be destroyed? And what will be the signs? Well, the temple will be destroyed very soon. And the signs, they're already here. And so Jesus concludes in verse 28. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. See, you look out the window, you see the green leaves coming. What's that mean? Spring. Summer's just around the corner. Jesus says, even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, the destruction of the temple, that is, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. See, Jesus predicts that it will happen within the generation of the people listening. And it did. After Jesus' death came persecution, the gospel went out, and the temple was destroyed within that generation. Now, can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus' disciples during that time? Jesus leaves them. He's, he's killed on a cross. And they have to choose between saying that they follow him and, and being beaten or just keeping quiet and keeping their heads down and going about a normal life. I think at times you'd feel like giving up on following Jesus, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be tempted to follow someone else who came along and offered an easier way? That's why Jesus said, verse 21, if, if at that time if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. See, don't go off following other false messiahs, even people doing flashy miracles, verse 22, for false Christs, and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive the elect, if that were possible. Jesus is saying when life is hard and when the disciples are being persecuted and when their own family turns against them and when other people come around doing miracles, some of those things must be tempting to follow someone with a softer message or to follow someone who can do more impressive miracles. Jesus says, I've told you this ahead of time so that you'll stick with me. And if you do, in the end, you'll be saved. And they did. They heeded his warnings. Now, that's not the end of Mark 13, though. That's the end of Jesus answering the disciples' two questions there. But there's six verses to go. And I think in these last six verses, Jesus is shifting his view from his disciples to us. Jesus' warnings now change from the destruction of Jerusalem to his return. In this part of Mark 13, it's a warning to us here today. The destruction of Jerusalem for us has been and gone. It's no use us being warned about that. Those warnings were for Jesus' disciples, but these next few verses, Jesus gives warnings to everyone. Heaven and earth will pass away, he says, 
And no one knows that day or that hour, not even the angels in heaven. Look at verse 33. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the cock crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And if you read that exact section in Matthew's gospel, it's very clear that Jesus is actually talking about his return. And he's warning us. And we have seen some spectacular displays of God's judgment throughout history, Sodom and Gomorrah, the destruction of the Babylonian Empire, the destruction of the temple. But there is coming a day when God will destroy the entire heavens and earth. And Jesus is saying, are you ready for that day? Daniel 12 describes it like this. At that time, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There'll be a time of distress such has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Jesus is warning us, of that day, so that we are ready for it. And when your life is hard and when you're being persecuted or when your own family is against you or when following Jesus is hard work, Jesus says, be on guard. Be alert. Don't let that distract you. Or when you're tempted to follow someone with a softer message, a a life can be better now message, or when you're tempted to make your life more comfortable now and just settle down and kick back and enjoy life, go to sleep. Jesus says, be on guard, be alert. Don't let that distract you. Don't be distracted by wealth or prosperity now. Don't be sucked in by that stuff. That's not being ready for Jesus' return. So let me ask you here this morning, are you ready? Are you waiting expectantly? For Jesus' return? Are you looking forward to his return? When I studied electrical engineering, we did an ethics course and we looked at some of the greatest disasters, some of the greatest engineering disasters. And the interesting thing was, was all the big ones, they could have been avoided if people had taken notice of the warnings. So in 1983, the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up 73 seconds after its launch and nine people were killed. The NASA engineers knew about the problem before it happened. They were warned about the faulty O-ring, but they chose to ignore the warning. In 1986, there was the Chernobyl nuclear reactor had a meltdown, estimated that over 100,000 people have died as a result of that disaster. That's, That's not including the people who have cancer now but haven't died. And again, that disaster could have been avoided because the nuclear reactor warning system was going off, but the engineers thought it was faulty and they turned it off. They ignored the warnings. The reactor melted down, the operators were killed and thousands of others. And I was just recently reading a similar thing about that BP oil spill. In BP's investigation, 
after the three months of oil spilling everywhere, they said there were warning signs of trouble, but they weren't heeded. Until it was too late and the rig exploded, 11 workers were killed and over three months, five million barrels of crude oil were in the ocean. They are catastrophic events, and yet they all could have been avoided if people simply listened to the warning. And you think to yourself, how can people ignore a warning like that? How could people ignore a warning when the stakes are so high? And yet that's exactly what people do with Jesus. They hear what the Bible says about what's coming, what's just around the corner, but then they don't live for Jesus' return. And they make decisions based on what's best for them here and now in the short term, and they don't think about what's coming. That's crazy. Don't be like that. When, it say, when Jesus says, do not let him find you sleeping, it's not talking about stay awake, don't go to bed at night. It's talking about people who get comfortable in life and they settle down and they live for the here and now and they fall asleep at the wheel, not really paying attention to the return of Jesus. Well, don't be like that. Pay attention to this warning. If he comes suddenly, Mark 13.36, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and pure and holy and that you don't tolerate sin and that you have a plan that one day all the wrongs of this world will be made right. But Father, we know that in order for that to happen, you must judge sin and you must judge people's rebellion against you. But Father, thank you that all through the Bible, Whenever you judge, you provide a way of escape. Thank you that you warn people and you give them a chance to escape from your judgment every time. And Father, thank you that you've warned us about your coming judgment and that you've provided through Jesus a saviour. We pray that we would listen to his warning and we pray that when he returns, we might be found ready. And we pray that we might live our lives looking forward to that day pray these things in his name. Amen.